Welcome down to episode number 58 of the Down South Photo Show with me, Brendan Waits, here in Ocean Grove, Victoria, Australia. And the dude over there and in your other ear, if you're listening to this on audio, is Cam Blake in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. Good evening, Cameron. G'day, Brendon. Uh, that Brendan. was a run-of-the-mill intro. That's the same oh, yeah. thing everyone's you know, heard for years. <laughs> you know what we are? As you started, I'm like, oh, shit, he's going. We are. We actually <laughs> are. We're going. I thought it was a practice run. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> onto it. So yeah, I was going to butt in, but it was a very uh, fluid intro. Well done. It was good. No worries. Like uh, thank you yeah. to everyone who has subscribed, liked, followed, all mm. that sort of stuff. Haven't checked the subscribe account this week on YouTube yeah. nor on Pod, but we did pass a little milestone on Podbean, which Podbean. is the company we use to distribute distribute the podcast all around. Yeah, uh, five thousand uh, downloads of the show. Didn't we already pass that? No, we passed four thousand. Now we passed right, five thousand. Okay. That's pretty so, good. Yeah, we're ticking over. It's probably more like. After last week's amazing episode, it's probably more yeah. like five and a half thousand now. Whatever, yeah. anyway, it's yeah. great. It's all awesome. Uh, as we as as we always say, we're very grateful for people who listen to this dribble every week and yeah, tend tend to enjoy it. Well, I think if we have to listen to it, they should have to listen to it. <laughs> That's right. <exactly. laughs> um, yes. Let's start with our backgrounds. I know where yours is, but um, we're starting with yours. Yeah, I don't look, know why we look, start with yours every week. We just do. I don't know. Look at that. I'm gonna. I've got my TV remote control that helps to. Oh, that's uh, magic. Isn't it? That's pretty good. Um, so this is the mighty, my, not the mighty Murray behind you, but this is the mighty Franklin River uh, in the deep west of Tasmania. Uh, I'll be down at this location in about a week and a half's time. So that's the famous Rock Island Bend made famous by Mr. Peter Dombroskis. And there's a beautiful little water fall and cascade that comes into the river. So, yeah, it's a, um, it's a staying place. Uh, we had really moody conditions on this trip last year. So fingers crossed, and I dare dare say we will have moody conditions this trip. So, but yeah, looking forward to getting down there. Well, with the weather that's been going on, um, mm. so so did you take that photo like this time last year? Uh, almost exactly the same time this time yeah. last year. It's yeah. magnificent. How how good does that island look with all the yeah. mist and stuff around? That it? is very cool and very eye catching. It, it's funny that we actually. It's funny how things work when you do these trips because we actually sat out because the river rose quite a bit after a bit of rain. So we sat out, I think it was for a day, maybe two days. I can't remember. But it just happened to get us at the Rock Island Bend a day or two later, uh, which gave us these perfect misty, moody conditions. So it was all meant to be. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful spot. So we're looking forward to going down there. Um, another beautiful river in Australia, but you've also got a big river in your backyard as well. Yes. Um, so... I'll just um, quickly switch to speaker mode so you can actually see what I'm talking about. There you go. So that's um, that, my friends, is the bridge at Swan Hill. For those who can't see it, um, the water is about a metre and a half off the bottom of the bridge. And normally the water is about 12 metres off the bottom of that bridge. So if that wow. gives you any, well, maybe not 12, 10 at least metres off the bottom of that bridge. So that gives you any indication of how much water is heading down the mighty Murray at the moment. Um I think the short answer is there's a crap ton. Yeah. Uh, it's easily <laughs> it's easily uh, the highest I've ever seen the river in yeah. person, and I grew up there. Mm. Um, uh, I, I missed the, 80, uh, the 93 floods. I'd already left. I was off at university in 93. So, um, but, yeah, to be able to get up there and see it, and uh, getting there was an adventure in itself. A lot of road closures in yeah. rural Victoria. So I went to towns I haven't been to in years. Yeah. Towns like Inglewood and 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 uh, Charlton and Witchy Proof. Witchy Proof. Like I've been through there. That's a cool lot. Witchy Proof. Went... You either know someone who's to live there or you've driven through it. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the first time I went out to the Flinders Ranges, I think I went out that way. You would have done. Yeah. And I went, and that that bridge reminds me a lot of Renmark on the uh, South. Yeah. Australian... So these these are your mm. classic um, lift bridges. So that bit in the middle there used to i don't think the swan hill one does anymore but it used to raise up and let the paddle steamers come through yeah uh, i have actually seen that bridge lifted years ago i reckon probably even the last time it was lifted which would have been around oh, definitely early 2000s yeah okay this is the last time that thing went up but uh yeah. like all the bridges along the murray they're slowly getting replaced one by one uh yeah. swan hills have been on the agenda to be replaced for about 50 years but uh yeah. it keeps hanging in there there's another, a there's not a lot over the river from swan hill it's not a classic twin town like Achuka Moama, Barham Kundruk, yeah. Yarrawonga Mawela. It's yeah. th there. There is um, like a township called Murray Downs further over, mm -hmm. um, but it's not a huge town, so it's not yeah. really relied upon as much this bridge as some of the other ones. 
Yeah, yeah, they're very cool, aren't they? Very classic Australian Murray River. Yeah, scenes, but, and I like how you've got the gums in there, and you got the. Oh, the, they're just the best. The, they the, river, the reeds of the river, which are probably yeah. normally grass. Well, these reeds are normally wouldn't even be close to the river's yeah. edge. Yeah, in fact, they're probably only sort of grown there over the last month because of all the water that they're now able to grow in. Yeah. Um, but there's so much water, black, they call it black water coming down. So mm. there's no oxygen in the water. So yes. uh, unfortunately yeah. getting a fair amount of fish die off. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Murray River crays uh, finding their way out of the water. Right. So the Department of Fisheries is going along. I saw them while I was there. They're going along with big nets. They're scooping them up. They're putting them in tanks, holding tanks in, a, in Narandra in rural New South Wales. And they're going to release back as many as they find. I mean, they're not clearly not going to find, they're probably going to find five or 10% of them, but at least they're doing yeah. something to, yeah. to uh, keep the numbers up of crayfish in the Murray River. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And uh, you had a good trip up there? It yeah, it was good. Really, uh, I was up there for a mate's 50th, but of course I was always going to take the old camera and the drone. Yeah. I got some really cool drone footage uh, around the bridge. More for my own reference, but you know, a bit of historical reference as well to show people yeah. that yes, one day the river did get that high. Yeah. Um, Back it's in not my expected. day when I had my drone. That's right. Yeah. I don't know what it'll be in the future. They'll probably have a, their phone will probably fly up there and take oh, the photos we'll or have transmit we'll have, back to it. We'll have jet legs. Jet legs. I like yeah. the sound of that. Yeah. That'd be great. I, yeah, I'll, I'll have some. Like Astro, like Astro Boy. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the river's not expected to do too much more rising around Swan Hill. They reckon it'll yeah. maintain this peak for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And then hopefully it'll all start to go back down, provided the weather holds out and it looks like we're finally in for some good weather. Cam, how awful has the weather been in southeastern Australia? It has been shitful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although, as we talk, it's just starting to rain here again. It's just been raining yeah. off and on a bit this afternoon, but... Yep. Uh, I think looking from tomorrow onwards, the weather starts to improve again. I think we get some more rain in another week or so. But, yeah, it's been ordinary. Um, there's been plenty of rain and uh, plenty of flooding and a bit of wind. We had well, we had these massive wind storms come through a couple of days ago. They weren't as bad as what the the Bureau predicted, uh, but they, we had wind gusts of 140 k's on Mount Wellington just behind the backyard here. And so, yeah, it's been pretty crazy, but, yeah, it'd be nice to um, see some sunshine for a change. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the forecast is certainly uh, a lot better. In a week's time, yeah. we'll, we'll be com complaining about how hot it is. Yeah, we'll be pitching a moment about how hot it is. No yeah. doubt. Uh, that's, uh, I think that forecast, 28, 29 degrees in a week's time here in Ocean yes. Grove. So yeah, we've got 25 degrees down here. Yeah, so. the northerlies will kick in and... Mm -hmm. Summer will be away, and we can all get out and enjoy some nice weather with our cameras for a change. Yeah, for a couple, um, although that must be said, um, uh, again, traveling through uh, rural Victoria, even though the weather was pretty ordinary, um, it was quite stunning to see. Yeah, I've never seen that those parts of Victoria that green yeah. ever. I've never seen so much wildlife, birds for Africa. There's just birds as far as you could see, all kinds of birds, and of course yeah. the whole food chains there. So you get the hawks. Mm -hmm. um we we saw i've never seen so many foxes even during the day because oh, yeah. yeah, the right. habitat's been flooded so yeah they're all out um which is not a great thing because we don't like foxes but um yeah 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 uh, but yeah a lot of uh, as i say a lot of bird life pelicans and all that kind of stuff so it was really cool and i yeah. wish i had more time because i never tend to seem to have time i'm always traveling through these areas and i want to stop yeah, you're always on a bloody schedule, aren't you? So, um... It's always the way. That was like when we went to Flinders Ranges the other month. It was the same. It was green as all get out. And yeah. along the way, I was driving along with my cousin Daniel, who helps me out. And I'm like, oh, there's a photo. There's a photo. And he's yeah. like, do you want to stop? I said, mate, if we stop, we won't even get to Adelaide, let alone the Flinders <laughs> Ranges. So um, yeah. we kept That's going. But like. yeah, it's it's almost like it's a bit tricky for us, isn't it? Like we work in this industry, and you know, you run the shops, so I do my tours, and it gets harder to actually get time to do our own our own bit of photography and yeah. you know you know getting out and actually doing our own stuff which is therapeutic for us as it is for the guys that listen and, and watch us as well but we just don't get as much time so we're almost back to where we were working really like when we were working <laughs> without being photographers so yeah kind of um, it gets a bit tricky but um it, it does yeah and I was exactly the same you know driving up like a, we had we had to take the long way around so it's always about five and a quarter hours yeah. It would normally take us about four, but um, yeah, same thing, like seeing like shearing sheds in the middle of paddocks. Oh man, yeah, you know, I'd love yeah. to be there at sunset or do an astro shot with that shearing shed there yeah. and that yeah. sort of stuff. And there's one, I don't know whether it's sort of a, a more of a Western Victorian thing, but there tends to be, I think you get it up around uh, the high country as well. 
the gigantic gum trees in the middle of paddocks. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh man, they just they make the best subjects, particularly when you just get one big old gum that it's be a couple hundred years old. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like a monolith in the middle of a paddock. And, yeah. Uh, man, I, I I I logged a few in my mind through a couple of these roads that I hadn't driven down for uh, for years. Yeah, it's funny you say that when you log it in your mind. The one thing I do when I go traveling a lot is I use Google Maps quite heavily, but I'll put a little star pinpoint. If I drive past something, I'm like, well, that's a cool field or like, is that a cool barn or a tree or whatever it might be? I'll put a little Google star in there. So I know when I'm driving back along that road again, I'm like, okay, I can come back and do some stuff. So that's a a little bit of a tip for guys that if you are out traveling and you're you're stuck because you're working or family or whatever, don't don't just drive past and forget about it. Make a note of it and- um, come back another time you know most things are there yeah. i mean every every location you want to you want to be there sunrise middle of the day and sunset just to yeah. see the lighting yeah. and then be there in winter and then yes. be there in summer and then yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it's 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 kind of uh infinite isn't it all the different possibilities for all the different stuff that you see and you just want to photograph it all that's brilliant yeah. Yeah. um our main topic for discussion tonight yeah uh, i love it do you well, no, I don't. I actually hate it. Yeah, here we anyway. go. This, this, this has got this has got back button focus written all over. Yeah, it. This has got back button focus. <laughs> this this one actually probably should have come up before back button focusing because <laughs> I think I dislike this one more than I like back button focusing. Yeah, okay, but... so this is this is uh, we, what we're talking about, folks. Is is focus stacking uh, tonight? Mm. We're going to have a bit of a chat about focus stacking. Now, um, I'm going to go full disclosure here. I've never. Uh, focus stacked an image in my life um it's not something that i've felt the need to have to do yeah um however i do i think i get it i think i kind of get it and i think i kind of understand why people do it however cameron's going to completely talk me off the ledge <laughs> there and, and say no no no, no. This... <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna i'm gonna make more fans out of this episode like last episode where right, people well... although you know back button focusing was i reckon it was almost a 50 50 split as to who yes and who said no and yeah i think you're um, right there that's pretty pretty accurate um yeah. so and I think, of, the, of the three listeners one liked it one didn't one was undecided i think yeah, yeah. and the other one was my mum so she has to decide with me so <laughs> that's right <laughs> um but this one i think will be, i think it'll be another 50 50 sort of topic and who knows it might it might be as popular as the other topic i don't know but Focus well, stacking would, to me. Would you like you to go? explain first of all what exactly focus stacking is for people who don't know what it is and who well, this, might this so is, who might want to give it a go? This is where I think people get a little bit confused. So you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm going to focus stack." So focus stacking uh, traditionally is where you take a series of photos at different focal lengths, or you put your focus point at different lengths so for example brendan's seen behind him you might focus on the grass and you might focus on the tree then you might focus on the on the pillars of the bridge and then you might focus on the tree skyline at the back and then what they do is they go into photoshop and they will or photoshop or, or lightroom because it still does it there they'll take all those shots and they'll put them all together make one image the same which then what it does it blends all the focus points together so you get maximum sharpness from the foreground all the way through those scenes to the very background now, to do that, generally people, what they would do is they'll just set up on, you know, F8 or something like that or F5.6 and just move their focus point, take a shot, take another one, take another one, take another one, and then get all those shots and put them together later on. Um, so that's focus stacking. And then there's also functions on the camera, which is focus bracketing. And this is where I think people get a little bit confused. And this, this is one aspect of what I don't like about focus stacking. And the other aspect is I just don't think you freaking need to do it. I just I think people go down the rabbit hole of all these tutorials online and think, oh my God, I've got to have this sharpness from a millimeter in front to, you know, 600 kilometers out the back. And I just don't buy into it. And I think, and, I, and I've, I've done little experiment, experiments myself with focus stacking and focus bracketing. Um, so getting back, focus bracketing is where the camera will take a series of shots um, and it'll, you can, in some cameras, you can determine how far apart each shot is in regards to focus point. So it might be really close where it does a, a heap of shots really close together and stacks them through, or it does you know three or four through the one scene. So you can set that up through your camera. Focus bracketing on a camera um, is designed to actually give you not a series of shots to get to stack later on. It's designed to give you one shot that nails the hyperfocal distance, which is what we're gonna talk about on, the, on tonight. 
focus stacking to me is where you take all those shots and then you put them into Photoshop and make one perfect shot together with perfect focus all the way through. I don't think you need to do it. I think every camera these days and every lens that's out there these days, you can you can nail focal distance, uh, hyperfocal distance and sharpness from front to back nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, if you know where to put that focal point on, on your scene. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think focus stacking is a load of bollocks. And I think what people have done, again, this is a bit like the back button focusing where everyone's gone, oh, wow, they've said, you know, the guys on YouTube said I've got to do back button focusing or, you know, the guy in the camera shop says I've got to do it because that's what all the professionals do. This is another one where people are going, well, I need to have sharpness, ultimate sharpness and focus from the very front of my shot to the very back of my shot. And what they do is they completely bypass the whole understanding of aperture, hyperfocal distance, you know, what lens to use, you know, what settings to use. And they just go straight for the cheat sheet, which is, well, if I just take a thousand shots through that scene of Brendan's and then stitch them all together later on, I'll be sharp from front to back. And I just don't think it's the right way to do things. I think it's, again, it's, it's a cheap way out of getting um, decent focus from the front of your shot to the back of your shot. So that's going to enrage a few people and they're all going to sit there and say, no, you're hundred percent wrong. Focus stacking is the only way to go. And I had a guy, I'm going to crap on a bit longer, Brendan. I had a guy in, um, I think I told this story before when I was at Yosemite National Park a few years ago and his complete wanker rocked up in his complete full camo outfit. His tripod was wrapped in camouflage. His lens was wrapped in camouflage. He had this giant 400 mil lens and he went and rent the whole scene and just literally scanned the whole scene from front to back, side to left, side to side, up to left. And he put it all in about 2000 shots. And he turned around and said to me, he goes, oh, focus stacking. It's the only way to get full focus these days. Packed his gear off and walked off. And I'm like, you are such a dick. That is, like, that's just the lazy man's way of not actually trying to get, you know, your focus nailed properly with a, with a lens. So, yeah, open to discussion as in regards to focus stacking. But I think focus stacking um, is one of these things, again, that has been taken way out of, proportion and over overused to create images that I think you can create using a normal lens and camera without any trickery. Yeah. Okay. So from someone again, hand on heart, never focus stacked an image in my life. Um, I want to pick up on a couple of things. First of all, I want to pick up on the fact that you and I are landscape photographers and we've, this yep. is what we talked about when it came to back button focus as well. Yes. Uh, yep. And that I think focus stacking would be more useful definitely for macro photography yeah. um, where it's nigh on impossible to nail focus at such close quarters, particularly if you've got a moving subject. But if you're shooting an insect, for example, that you want to have, you know, uh, and some of these, I've seen some of these lenses, the macro lenses, the, the depth of field is so minute when it's the lens is in. wide open mm. that you yeah. need to focus stack and you need to be able to work your, um, you know, maybe up to 10 shots on a, on the face of a, uh, a dragonfly for example yeah. and and get get everything sharply focused I, I i think i can understand that um but having recently read up a bit about hyperfocal distance and what you've been talking about for landscape photographers in particular with uh wide angle lenses which is the other point i wanted to pick up on uh with wide angle lenses i think uh focus stacking is a bit of a moot point i, I don't understand why you would put yourself through the extra work to achieve what you could achieve yeah. pretty much with one frame. Yeah. Um, given what you should know about your lenses capabilities in terms of hyperfocal distance. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I want to try it now though. I'm sort of curious and I think yeah. I might do the same experiment that you mentioned, like where I'll do the shot and I'll get it as sharp as I can. Yeah. And then I'll try and do one with, with focus stacking yeah. and see if there's any yeah. visible difference which I think is going to lead into the point that you want to make about visible difference, particularly yeah, yeah. when we, when, with what we are now doing with our images these days. Yeah, hundred percent. So when I was in uh, WA a few months ago, um, I did a bit of an experiment. We had a bit of a workshop, but I did it the next day on my own and went down and I used focus bracketing through my camera. Um, and I set it up to do, I think it was about 20 shots. So there was this scene that had this gnarly root system in the front of Sugarloaf. Is it Sugarloaf Rock? I think it is. Um, yeah. out, out, on, out on the coast. So that's a bit of distance. That's probably a few hundred metres at least out to the to the rock and then further onto the horizon. So 
I did a, a probably a 20 shot uh, focus stacking where I, it focused on the very front of the, the, the tree, all the way through the tree, all the way out to the back of that rock. And then I did another shot on my camera, putting it where I thought the hyperfocal distance is. So for those that don't know what the hyperfocal distance is, that's generally where the sweet spot is for your focal point to maximize your depth of field of that aperture you're using. So a lot of cameras will default just to the middle of your screen and or middle of your scene and take the shot. Using that focus point and moving that around to the correct location will maximize your depth of field based on what aperture you're using. So I did that with this shot and I went back to my computer and it was a big screen computer. It wasn't a little tablet or anything like that. And I pulled out the, I think I used F16 or I might've even been F22 on the Fuji, which is quite a big uh, sensor. So you can use you know slightly bigger F, F number. And then I picked out, out of the 20 shots I did, I picked out the shot that it nailed as the, the focus point being the sharpest and the depth of field being the largest. And I put them next to each other and went in about 200%, 400%. And I scanned through the top to the bottom and the, the sharpness was identical the entire way through. Okay. There, there was not there was not a skerrick of difference. And one image 400. took you how long and one image took you how long? Yeah, <laughs> one, image, one image took me a couple of minutes to probably set up and get it all going. The other one took a 30th of a second. Yeah. So what I, what I think is the problem here, and I guess this is photography these days, and photography is just so bloody popular. Everyone's doing it. Everyone wants to be an expert. Everyone wants to be professional. Everyone wants to sell their prints or get Insta famous or whatever it might be. A lot of people still do it just for enjoyment as well, which is great. But what I think happens is everyone gets lost in all this information. So people go, well, hang on a sec. I, you know, someone said I've got a focus stack because that way I get maximum sharpness all the way and depth of field all the way. But then what they do with their photos afterwards, they put them on Instagram or Facebook, which gets compressed to the hell and you don't <laughs> see any difference anyway. So I don't understand why people are going through the effort of doing all this stacking, putting it all together, and then compressing the hell out of it and sticking it on a line and a little square that no one can tell anywhere. Even with um, that shot I was talking about, I came home and I thought, right, let's just print them both out. I printed them both out at A2 size, I think it was, and put them side by side, swatched them around, mixed them up, walked away, came back the next day, couldn't tell you which one was which. They looked identical. Mm. So I think focus stacking, I'm not going to say what I did last time. There's going to be no bleeps required. Okay. Just to help you with your editing. You can but get in the bin. <laughs> you get in the bin. I think focus stacking, I, I think I think you're playing with yourself a bit too much if you think focus stacking is going to increase your photography output. I, th okay. I think it's not so, what it's for. Okay. Landscape photography. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So I want to challenge the issue here. So let's let's no, let's look at Brendan. let's look at the image behind you. Can you cover your camera for a sec? Just I certainly this, can. For the sake of the argument. Yep. Okay. So you've got yep. the foreground little cascade, little waterfall, but yep. the star of the show of that image is the island in the background. In my opinion, I think that's that's the yep. spot. I mean, I think that's what you were trying to photograph. There was that location was yep. made famous by yep. that by that island. I can right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah. okay. So what about if you use focus stacking for only two focal points, one being the foreground cascade and one being yep. the island in the background by yep. using a uh, maybe a bigger zoom lens to isolate those areas a little more? Obviously, you're not going to yep. be able to get the full gamut, the full width of that image. But, you know, is that then acceptable to use focus stacking to do that, which... I know is a little bit of a trick because you mm. can't focus on two points at once by definition. No. So I'm wondering how how that would go then, like wh whether that's whether that would work. So just as soon as I started talking about focus stacking, it's like, right, okay, why do we have to have everything in focus? Why can't we yeah. pick two, three focal points? That's it, you know, foreground, yeah. middle distance, background. But in the case of that, I reckon it would work really cool that the you know if you look at the island in the distance and then look straight down there's a big old boulder right in the foreground with that green moss below it yes um you know so maybe something like i don't know is that something that's done well i i'm sort I'm of sorry I guess. for all the podcast uh, you... listeners because i was just very visual then uh looking at Cam's yeah, photo, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah so so what you're saying is that do you want you want you just want to use like a couple of focal points and then yeah. stack together yeah. Well, yeah, you, you can you can you can do two focal points and stack them together. 
that's not a problem. But the, the, the argument is that you still don't need to. Like you, you don't, if, if you're using the right hyperfocal distance and you're using the right aperture on your lens to maximize your depth of field, yeah, you don't need to yeah. pick different focal point. You'd be able my, to cover my it point, all. My point being though, I want the middle ground out of focus. Right. So, so yeah. well, yeah, it's you a, could do that. Something if you, a bit different. you could shoot, you could shoot f2.8 or f4 on the boulder in the foreground that's right and then you can from. shoot 2.8 or f8 on the background on the rock mm. on the rock mm. island bend mm. and then yeah you'll find that the focus but what that will go that will cause you an optical mix-up i reckon i think your eyes will be yeah. struggling yeah to sort of make sense of that and th and that's what depth of field is supposedly meant to do it's either meant to isolate a topic or a subject or it's meant to work in your favor to allow, you know, a great depth of field. And that's why it's called depth of field. It's like mm. a depth of, of the photo. So, you know, yeah, you could definitely, like if there was something really cool on these rocks on the foreground, like a little orchid or a little flower, then maybe I would shoot F2.8 and blur the background out. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone still knows what that rock is. That's a still a very famous rock. Yeah. But in this situation, this is a single shot taken um, on a little tripod, probably around about F16, Focusing probably, I reckon I've focused maybe probably just after the big boulder where the, the next little lot of boulders are. Yeah. Um, if you if you read up on depth of field, the depth of field from where your focal point is, so if it's just around about here, the depth of field will, will work one-third in front or four one-third in front, two-thirds behind. So it all really depends on where you put that focal point. But what people are doing these days is they get up to a scene, they go, wow, that's a great scene. All right, focus stack, bang, 20 shots. Get into, get into Photoshop, spend another 25 minutes sticking them all together to get the exact output. And if it's not the exact, if it's not 100% the exact, it makes bugger all difference when you put it on a screen and no one can tell the difference anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally I totally understand your argument. Um, I, I get where you're coming from because uh, that's when people want to have everything in focus, have, have yep. a for want of a better term, a deep depth of field um, where, you, yep. where you've got, which is what landscape photography is all about. In, in fact, in my um, the entry-level workshop, we talk about the scene modes and how, yep. you know, the little dial on some yep. entry-level cameras, it's a little mountain range. Well, you know, all that's doing is is saying to the camera, F8 or yep. F, F11 even, you know, yeah. you know just, that's yep. all it does. It's just a... It's just a shortcut yeah. to, 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 to increase the depth of field that way. Yeah. Um, so for eons, that's the way it's been done is yeah. with, um, you know, using F8, F11, F16, and then, as you say, nailing the, the hyperfocal. So, so no, yeah. knowing exactly where to focus. Now, for, the, for those of you playing along at home and want to know a bit more about hyperfocal, uh, hyperfocal distance can very well explain it very very well um but our good friends then we used these guys last week well two weeks ago uh, photography life photographylife.com um i'm just gonna just quickly rattle off what they say about hyperfocal distance um they do generally put it in quite good layman's terms so what is hyperfocal distance hyperfocal distance is at its simplest or at its simplest is the focusing distance that gives your photos the greatest depth of field. For example, consider a landscape where you want everything, foreground and background, to appear sharp. If you focus on the foreground, the background will appear blurry in the image. And if you focus on the background, the foreground will look out of focus. So how do you fix this? Simple, you focus at a particular point between the foreground and the background, which makes both the foreground and the background elements of the scene appear reasonably sharp. This focusing point is called the hyperfocal distance. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And, and that's governed and I, by I, the aperture that you choose. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The aperture is what controls depth of field and the focal point. Yeah. Um, one, one example, which I know people will probably be screaming at their podcast or their screen, they're going to be saying, but what about if I have, you know, you, you see those Patagonia shots there. They're a dime a dozen. I've never been to Patagonia, so this is probably a little bit of jealousy creeping in, but there are a dime <laughs> a dozen of the shots where they have that beautiful big plant in the foreground, which looks huge. And then they've got the massive mountains in the background, which look like they're just sitting on top of the plant. So what people do there is they definitely do focus stack and then they play around with perception. They'll take a shot with like an 18mm lens to get that foreground looking really big and, and jumping out of the screen. And then, like they said, they might go to a 50mm lens and do, do the mountains and do that. Then they'll stack it all together and put it all together. That's things like focus stacking will definitely work in that scenario. But to me, that that's not a photograph. If you're taking 
four or five different frames stacking and then taking different focal lengths in the same shot and then creating it later, then you're creating a digital photograph. You know, you're not creating a, a true photograph in my language. And that's me. That's I'm, I'm, I'm a bit old school and stubborn like that. And people get that. No one, um, no one would ever notice, Ken. <laughs> I'm starting to sound a bit like an old record, aren't I? Anyway, <laughs> um, but the reason why this focus stacking is is an important topic to, to talk about is if I had a dollar for every time I've been approached either on a workshop, at a festival, online, in an email, on a Zoom session, whatever it might be, the amount of times I've been said, people come up to me and say, hey, cool, I love what you do with your landscapes. Can you teach me how to focus stack? And my first response is why? Well, I, I, you know, you've got to get it sharp all the way through. And I'm like, have you actually read up about depth of field or hyperfocal distance or apertures and what they do? Yeah, I don't get that though. So, but everyone, everyone else just does focus stacking. It just works. And if you, if you come up to say that to me, I'm just going to say, sorry, I'm going to teach you the right way. If you want to learn how to focus stack, this is not the class for you because it's not learning how to actually manage a camera, how to manage a lens, how to manage light focal points it's it's uh, that that's completely different to what photography is all about so yeah so focus stacking to me is i i think it's more of a problem than back button focusing back button focusing i get and i understand why people wanted to use the back button and not the four button but focus stacking to me is people trying to take the cheap way out to not to have to avoid worrying about depth of field they just go well bang 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 it's all focused. That's it. That that bit's done, and now I don't have to worry about anything like that. So, mm -hmm. I get frustrated with that. I think I think that's not the right way to do it. Well, you're probably not. Um, you, at some point, that's going to let you down, and you're going to want to know, um, you know, the right aperture, and you want you're going to, you're going to have to know hyperfocal distance. Yeah. Uh, for example, yeah. when you've got no time to take a stack of photos yeah, like yeah. when that when that wave's rolling in on the beach and you want to still get yeah. it all you know sharply focused or yeah. when the water's rising around you on the Franklin River next week Cam you want <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, whoops it. I ain't got time oh here comes that storm okay hang on yeah. let me just bracket 20 images no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> and then let the, and then go home and then try and remember which images they were the other, the other thing that's like, like a bit of a cheat for me as well if and people go well, how do I know I, you know you're talking about spending time well, I've got to spend time working out the hyperfocal distance. You know, I've got to work out what aperture I'm using, what what focal length I'm using, what size my sensor is, distance to whatever. There's a lot of um, elements that make up that calculation. But for me, the easiest way and, and the one that's been most successful for me is, is to put your focal point around about a third of the way in. So if we're looking at my scene here, then about a third of the way in is, whoop, where are we? Is around about just behind that boulder where the, the other line of water is coming down there. On, on Brendan, the third of the way in the scene is probably just behind his his shoulder there and the water there along the line of, yeah, around about sort of just in line with the bottom of that tree would be about a third of the way in. And if you're shooting portrait way, then you do the same thing. It's about a third of the way in. And most of the time, my landscapes, I shoot on F16. And I know people will be screaming out, but what about diffraction and refraction and all this kind of softness around the edges? That's bullshit too, because I've shot at F16 and most of the time, if not nine times out of 10, it's all fine from edge to edge. It's nice and sharp. It's all pretty good. Yeah. Again, this, this... just to, just to pick up on that point and to expand it a little bit. And we've said this before on the show, I think people get hung up on yes. lens sharpness and distortion yeah. and barreling and pin cushion effect and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's like, really, I mean, do, do you look at an image and go, well, I don't like that photo because it's got chromatic aberration and it's got the, uh, the barrel mm. distortion. And no, you don't. No one ever yeah. does. You look at a photo. Yeah. Wow, cool shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so and, and a lot you of times, can you can get hung up on this stuff. Yeah, and and in my experience as well, the people that get hung up the most are the ones that are further back in their advancement of photography. Yeah. So the ones that just spend hours and hours and hours going down the rabbit hole online. Or, or reading forums or whatever it might be about what's best. The ones that go and read every single spec of every camera that ever comes out and, you know, try and, you know, pixel peeping and all that kind of stuff. They're generally the ones that are further behind where they probably want to be a photographer, as opposed to the ones that just get out there, try it, experiment, play around with things, play around with apertures, focal lengths, whatever it might be. So if you're one of those people that are just bogged down in reading all these technical specs and, 
trying to outdo everything with getting the better camera or the better, you know, the pixels or whatever it might be, you're wasting, you're wasting valuable shooting time. You're better off getting out there and practicing with your camera. So yeah, that's my rant on focus stacking. Again, I'm having another rant. That's fine. You, you're allowed one more this year. So, so really? study up on what yeah. you want to have a rant about and we'll go from there. <laughs> um, yeah, but again, it comes, I don't know, I'm so liberal. It comes back to horses for courses, right? And and yeah. if you want to if, if you want to have a crack at it, have a crack at it. But I'm sort of with Cam here. I think you're probably wasting your time if it's landscape photography. Again, yeah. macro photography, I don't think you can do it with portrait, but definitely macro no. photography. Yeah, um, the other one works yeah. really well if you're doing like real estate or commercial sort of buildings yeah, or architecture. Definitely. definitely. Yeah, you can do it there. Yeah. Um, I, I just think with landscape photography, it's just it really should be just that one shot, that one Product moment. photography, that would be... Yeah, that's the other one. Well. That sort of stuff as well. But yeah, uh, yeah we, won't, we, won't, we won't judge you. We, we won't wear a T-shirt next week saying focus stacking can you probably my ass. You probably <laughs> You probably will. <laughs> yeah. anyway, and again... Thank you, and thank, again, you for, thank you for entertaining me and my, my that's, ranting that's and old ageness. That, anyway. Good stuff. Uh, love it. Now, um, we're going to skip a couple of things that we normally talk, we'll come back to that because we want to just quickly touch on the deer cam. And this was completely coincidental. It was very coincidental. That, that this this came through uh, this afternoon. Uh, cam and I were talking about what we're going to talk about tonight and Cam said he wanted to have a bit of a chat about focus stacking, so I went along for the ride. And then uh, our friend Mark in Geelong uh, jumped on board. Sorry, Mark, I think you live in Geelong. I don't know where you live, but uh, Mark's been into my shop before, um, spoken to me a couple of times. Um, uh, quite a good photographer in his own right. Dear Cam, we have a deer cam yeah. question from Mark. I'm interested in your thoughts on hyperfocal focusing and how best to use it with a modern lens. Old school prime lenses had the guides. You can match the f-stop that you were using to the guide, and it would indicate what focus, what distances would be in focus. Modern lenses don't have this guide anymore. What technique would you suggest, other than using the back button, back focus button, and focus stacking, to obtain a well-focused landscape images? Uh, to, to obtain a well-focused landscape image. What apertures are the best for good focuses throughout and what f-stops aren't? Not f2.8, but are f16 and f22 no-go f-stops? And if so, why? Yeah, this is this is, this is is amazing, this question that it came in. So obviously, I'm Basically, on the, I'm you on can the, just rewind the podcast yeah, rewind to, the podcast to 20 minutes and go, ago and questions yeah. answered, really. But this what this does raise, Brendan, is the fact that I'm not the only person out there worrying about focus stacking. Yes. There's other people out there that are, this is, you know, maybe Mark's one of those ones that have gone down that rabbit hole about focus stacking and hyperfocal distance and things like that. So I think, yeah, I think we've answered it, covered a fair bit of it in what we've chatted about. Yes, the old school lenses did used to have the depth of field, excuse me, depth of field um, measurements on there. Some of them still do. Um, my Leica lenses do still have a, a depth of field. So my Leica lens, a little 21mm I've got, it just says, you know, if you're on F16, everything from this point to that point will be in focus and away you go. It's a it's a piece of piss. Like I just sit on F16, do about 700, uh, what is it, about seven, 70 mil or 70 centimeters in front of me and away we go to infinity is nice and focused. So yes, back in the day, that's that's generally how hyperfocal distance was 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 easily obtained. Um, in regards to techniques for now, using the cameras that don't necessarily have uh, the guides on them, just exactly what i said before my, my go-to is about a, go about a third of the way in put my focal point about a third of the way in and it can be a third of the way anywhere because it's a focal plane it's not a focal point so to speak so it can be on that rock there but it still be there and you still get the same sort of depth of field across the whole scene and then i'm, I'm a big fan of f16 i don't find it an issue with any diffraction chromatic aberration softness you know, it doesn't seem to affect my images um if you look through my catalogue of images, I reckon you'll, if I scrolled through and sorted by aperture used, F16 would be way up there as the most popular and then probably 2.8 at the end to get nice and soft depth of field. But I would say F16 is a good one to go on most cameras these days. And then, yeah, putting your focal point about a third of the way into your scene, whether or not it's horizontal or portrait, I think that's a really good starting point. And then, you know, you might have a quick look on the screen and just zoom into the very foreground to make sure it's, you know, nice and sharp and go to the back and make sure it's nice and sharp as best it can be. Um, but that'd be the technique I would use. About a third of the way in, F16. I shoot on aperture priority. I don't really care about shutter speed because usually shutter speed being slower helps us as an advantage in landscape. 
Um, and that'd be how I'd go about that. Very good. There you go. I'm pretty simple. I have no more to add than what yeah. Cam's just said right there. Keep keep it simple, stupid, is what is my motto. Absolutely. But so if you don't have a Cam question for us, by all means, send it into us yeah. via email, via courier pigeon, via uh, leave it in a leave a comment below if you want to, or send it to our website, which doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> going back to uh, sort of, I want to do a bit of gear talk tonight, Cam. Um, yes, my goodness, there that. has been a plethora of new cameras uh, and new lenses, for that matter, been announced. Um, no good ones, up, though. Only going to pick up on a couple tonight, but we will maybe next week. Over the next couple of weeks, we might um, unpack a few and and have a have a bit of a look, see at what's going on in the camera. It's actually a little bit exciting. Um, seems to be over the COVID years, things slowed down a bit with new model releases. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but uh, back with a vengeance now. The first one I want to talk to Cam about and to you, good listeners, about is the OM System OM5, the new uh, artist formerly known as Camera, which. Uh, Excited me a little bit, and for one reason only. Do you know what that is, Ken? It's silver. It's a good-looking camera. It has the OM Digital brand on the front. All of the OM system cameras are rather spunky-looking, wouldn't you say? That black and silver look that they've got I going do, on. I do, yeah. I quite like um, them. No, I don't, it's I don't a, know what excited you about. It's, I don't – I no longer have to spend three and a half to $4,000 to get – built-in nd filters there you go the om5 has is now a mid-range or an entry level yes i can't remember a price i think it's about 1700 bucks which doesn't seem to be that bad for what you get um but it does have the built-in um built-in nd filter which i which is a feature that i know that i would use uh, but i was not prepared to switch from everything I've got now and just go and buy an OM1 or an EM1 Mark III or the, o- or the yeah. OM1 just to get it. Um, yeah. So that was the first thing I looked for when I saw the specs. I was like, does it have the built-in NDs? And it does. Yeah. So I, I must admit, I, I, I'm a little bit the opposite to you, and this is not going to ring well with my friends at OM Digital, or <laughs> artists formerly known as, but I, I, I saw the OM5 come out and I went, oh, wow, okay, new camera. What's it look like? Oh, it's it's an EM5 Mark II with maybe neutral entities. Yeah, it's, it's the EM, same. It's, it, it's, it's the same build. It's the same chassis. It's the same. I think same buttons. Uh, very very similar. I think the card slots might have changed. There might be something a little bit different there. I haven't done yeah. a heap of research clearly on it, um, but I think yeah, it's it got looks, slightly. Looks cool. I think it's got slightly better weather proofing as well. Okay, but well that's handy. It it is practically the same guts as the. EM5 Mark III, well, uh, rebranded as an OM Digital and a better weatherproofing and yep. ND filters. And the uh, the EM5 Mark III was a wonderful camera. So I, I've got, yeah, I've got no, I reckon it could even find its way into my bag for the uh, Overland track. We know April. what you're like. We're buying cameras. Brendan. No, so you're going to buy a camera, then you rock up the, with a phone. The Overland track <laughs> in, in April, All right. I'm going to need something lightweight. So that might find its way into my bag provided you buy it and loan it to me. Well, I I was just about to say, there's a fair (laughs) chance I might have one in my little OM kit. Yeah, there you go. See, just make sure you've got it in your kit on the 14th of April. Um, Yeah. One, Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. You go, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I was was a little bit underwhelmed with the the announcement. I was hoping for something a bit more wham bam, but they're still a great camera, but I, I probably, I don't think it's worth the upgrade really, but that's just me. Yep. Um, now, the other one that you put on our list to have a quick chat about <laughs> was Canon's EOS R6 Mark II. Yeah, um, what a classic camera this is. <laughs> therefore, <laughs> uh, look out, Cam's getting ready to tee off. Uh, <laughs> 24.2 megapixel, 12 frames per second, mechanical wow. shutter, blah, 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 blah. Built-in image stabilization, rated to eight stops. That's new. Wow. I, I don't that's think they've cool. gone that far before. 4K video, that's amazing. Uh, 6K ProRes raw video, 4K at 60 frames per second. Uh, raw burst mode, moving subject HDR, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. what, what's your beef about this one, Cam? I think I know. Well, it's $4,500 for starters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a bloody expensive paperweight, I'll tell you right now. That That's an expensive 24-megapixel camera. That's true. Yeah. I, I think I, that's I, um, I think, I think going to stretch a lot of people to justify going to the – by the way, that's Australian dollars. It's going to – it's going to 
yeah, that's that's expensive. I've, I I I'll I here we go. I'll put it on the line now. I reckon that's below four grand before Christmas. That camera. Well, I think you're probably right. Um, it's going to be uh, yep. it's going to be a tough sell at that price, particularly in the current climate. Look, it's also we've well, got a really bad Aussie dollar at the moment as well, so you, it's hard. You, you can buy you can buy the new Sony A7 Mark V mm -hmm. for under six grand, and it's got sixty megapixels. Yeah, that now that is a why very, why, very why nice would you not just spend another twelve hundred dollars or so and go get that. Yeah, the uh, A7R5 is seriously cool. Uh, yeah. It doesn't not worth a jot for a landscape photographer, as far as I'm concerned, though. It's more for a videographer, the A7R yeah. series. Um, and, you know, uh, model shooting, weddings, that sort of stuff, I totally get it. But for landscape, yeah. wait for the A7. Well, the A7 Mark IV is yeah. one to look at if you're a Sony shooter. Uh, that's not about to be superseded anytime soon. That only came out this year. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hanging crap on this camera because it's a Canon. If, if Nikon had brought it out, I'd still hang crap on it as well. And so, <laughs> but, you know, you, you can go out practically and buy the OM1 for about a thousand dollars cheaper mm -hmm. and, practically have the, exactly the same settings if not better um better than image stabilizer than the canon yeah yes um so i actually put a comment on one of the facebook posts about this new camera today and mm -hmm. i put up there so i said I, it's just an om1 with a canon badge is it and that, that rattled a few feathers as well so you rattled a few feathers just to mix your metaphors i like it that's good <laughs> well, um, rattled, rattled a few cages that's better yeah. ruffled, yeah, a, few no, feathers, ruffled a few feathers maybe that's or fine, ruffled though. a few cages i don't know yeah far bit from I, me i don't though. i don't claim to be intellectual <laughs> you certainly don't nor do i um <laughs> fuji anyway fuji good luck Cam. just yeah. I just want to, next week, I'll probably talk about this more, but I think Fuji today announced, I think it's called the X-T5. That looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you're going to as well. Sorry? You're going to get one of them as well? Why not? I think it's a, that's a, I, the Fuji system intrigues me. Um, I really like it. I, I, there's a couple of things, two reasons I like it. One, its build quality looks sensational. Two, the uh, the dials. You get yeah, a yeah. proper. Old school proper old school um uh i and well not not that old school because you get an iso dial which mm. is pretty cool but you get your aperture and shutter speed dial and a exposure comp dial which is really yep. cool I, I i i dig that i reckon that's a i reckon that's a pretty cool setup yeah the fujis are good cameras i do like the fujis yeah um, very nice yeah but there, you're right there is a lot of new cameras coming out like the sony was released last week the canon the olympus so Just i haven't heard any other christmas what are the odds but, but they Nikon are generally about 25 years behind everyone else. So yeah. Um, and for those playing along at home, it is definitely the XT5. Uh, it's only prototype yeah. been announced so far and specs are coming, but uh, it looks very, very good and very, very probably much better value for money than that other thing we we're talking about before. <laughs> Canon. Can Can <laughs> <laughs> they must hate us. I actually said that to a few Canon mates that I'm like, wow, new Canon. And they're like, oh, cool. And I went, that's shit. <laughs> They went, oh yeah, it's very expensive. And then uh, I shoot yeah. a lot with Canon. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. so I think well, we're probably getting a bit like how are we how how are we going for time? Oh, we're about fifty one or two minutes in. Yeah, we we're might getting be into the into the general area of where we normally end up. Yeah. Uh, what we have lose, you got coming up? We lose attention around right about here. <laughs> <laughs> so do our listeners. What have you got coming up, uh, Cameron, this week? Oh, I've got a massive piss up on Friday night. I can tell you right now. You've got these tourism awards. Yeah. Why am I not coming with you? <laughs> hey, jump on the boat. It just takes off from your backyard. Um, it does. So yeah, Friday we've got the the tourism awards gala. It's a gala. It's a black tie event. Am I wearing yeah. a tie? No. Am I wearing? I black? want to see Probably photos not. of you at the gala. And uh, I've got some pretty cool shoes. I bought some pretty cool shoes for this. Is are you taking the better half? Uh, yeah, she's coming. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to be frocking up. Frocking Lisa's going to frock up. Uh, Chelsea, right. our friend Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea. Shout out to Chelsea, who doesn't like shout outs. Mm -hmm. uh, she's coming along as well with her beautiful partner, Isaac. Um, they're going to join us because Chelsea does help me a bit behind the scenes with, uh, well, not a bit. She helps me a lot. She probably runs my business more than I do, I reckon. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go. Yeah, but it's um, it's free free food, free grog. Well, uh, Natalie, Natalie Brath Brathingwaite, is that who it is? Bassing Thwaite. Bassing Thwaite, yeah, her. She's, yep. she's singing at the place. Fantastic. So it should be good, but I will send, I might even, hey, I might even do a live video on the Down South photo show. You know how to do it. You know how Brendan Favola did his little brown No, I don't. Don't. <laughs> um, no. No, please no? don't. Please oh, don't. Yeah. 
Um, I reckon they'd be good for ratings. No, but I want to see. We want to see photos, and yes, yeah, right. that that's going to happen about two hours after this show comes out. So as people exactly. listen to this, Cam yeah. is living it up. Um, he's he's hugging his tourism award. He's uh, of course you're going to win it, right? Well, there's there's all different categories. We're in the adventure tourism category. Oh. Um, I don't know how many people are in that category. If it's just me, I'm a fair chance to win. I reckon. Um, I'm if I was. Uh, betting man which i am i'd put everything i own on you getting getting an award really all right i don't know why i just i have no inside information or knowledge it's <laughs> no, just a hunch I, I, um, think, I think i think it's just a token gesture to invite me really but anyway and you're off on the franklin river next week does that mean that you're unavailable for our podcast no no week? no i'll be available Ooh. i'll be available beforehand so we leave on friday or so the week after so yes, and what about Very you? Your says here you're making big, giant, huge, humongous canvas prints. I have got so many big canvas prints on the go; it's not even funny, and I'm quite grateful to people because they happen to be my photos, which is excellent. Um, Ooh, just this week, it's uh, Christmas is in the air. I'm, I'm not even promoting it; it just happens to be. I think the new shop with the with the much better exposure has got got me front of mind. Cool. Um, so I'm cranking out some big old canvas prints and. Um, I'm now using my good mate Chris as my framer, who's now he's now handling all the stretching of my Ooh. bigger canvases. I've stopped doing that because I was uh, getting a bit over it, <laughs> and I don't have the space anymore for. Yeah, I was going to say a really bit more stuff. relaxed. <laughs> Do I? Uh, I used to get um, through November, December. I used to get proper RSI and like problems in my wrists and fingers and stuff from stretching canvases. So. I leave it to the experts yeah. now for the big stuff. The smaller ones I'm still doing, but uh, the bigger stuff, no. Um, one other thing uh, as well, my calendar is almost sold out. I, I couldn't believe it. I haven't you even marketed it. Out. I haven't even advertised it anywhere. It's just been right. on display in the front window of my shop. Right. And that's been, okay, so I only ordered 50. But, hey, that's almost sold out. <laughs> yeah, I ordered three. <laughs> well, it's been, well, speaking of selling out, I, I sold out four Olympus days or OM digital days in Melbourne. Um yeah. I put it out there the other day. I'll, I'll be in Melbourne in January. I might be up there for a special occasion. I don't know what it is yet, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll hopefully find out if it's actually happening. I don't really know what's going on, to be honest. Oh, um, it's happening. But, yeah, I thought, oh, while I'm up there, I'll, I'll put on a couple of OM days where we'll just do a bit of a city walk for around South Bank and mm-hmm. the city of Melbourne and sold out four days. And I'm like, whoa, Fantastic. okay, that's crazy. Fantastic. Maybe people in Melbourne are starved for Olympus OM days. How many uh, people go in each Eight. walk? Eight each one. Okay. Yeah, so it's 32 people yep. um, over four days, not four consecutive days, but we're up there for a few weeks. So yep. I thought I'll just fill in a few gaps and people will jump to it. So thank you, everyone who booked and looking forward to getting into the old stomping ground and uh, we'll try not to get stabbed in Melbourne or robbed, but yeah, we'll, no. we'll have fun. No, you're not going to, you're not going to bloody uh, high point. Knife point. <laughs> you're doing it. <laughs> there you go, some more of our audience. Never mind. Yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, I'll come. I'll tag uh, along on the fourth one because you'll have yeah, it yeah. nailed down by then. As long as yeah, I can yeah, play with yeah. an OM5. Come along. I'm, I'm sure we'll have one. Okay, there'll be an OM5 there. Okay, mm. great. Well, that is the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, unless Cameron's got anything else to add. Uh, no, I was just going to give a shout out to Mel. We haven't mentioned him the whole episode, and I reckon oh, he's yes. getting a bit shitty about that. He would have been getting uh, a bit toey by now. He's like, what the hell? Where's my shout out? Mm, Thanks for the order, Mel. I'm getting that sorted out for you. How many emails have you answered this week? Several and a couple of texts. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. a busy man. Busy man. Mm, clearly. I don't know why he keeps coming back to me. I'm a jerk, clearly. We will see you for episode 59 next week, the Down South Photo Show. Thanks for listening and good night. Ciao, folks.